Of course, uh, if you've ever been to a graduation ceremony, uh, I imagine there's many of us here who've been to graduation ceremonies, you'll know how important a program is, right? You know how important it is to have a program. Um, without one, you're lost. I remember as a kid uh, going to my brother's end of school thing, you know, you, you go at the end of the year and uh, they get all their prizes. And He was in high school, it was fancy, fancy school, and so I, I went along to that. Um, uh, and they seem to me to go on for an eternity. Have you had this experience? You go on for eternity. You're only there for one person, and there's a thousand kids getting prizes. And so they go on and on and on. But it was the, the, if there was one thing that gave me hope, it was the program. Uh, I could see how much, you know, you, you sort of count how much of the service has gone, <laughs> how long it is until uh, a big, big brother gets up on the stage for his moment of glory, and then after that, how long you've got to wait till the end. Right? <laughs> Uh, you, you know, if, if you've had that experience, you know how significant a program can be. But of course, uh, a program, a, a sort of a big picture, a map of where you are, what's behind and what's coming, uh, it isn't just about getting through long and boring ceremonies, right? <laughs> Programs like that operate on a much deeper level for us. And we all have one. We've all got this big picture of life, uh, of what's gone before us, what's coming up, and how we live in response to it. Uh, we live in a world of competing programs. One of the big um, competing programs that's out there is what I might be called exclusive humanism, but I'd like to call it WYSIWYG. Have you, heard, you know WYSIWYG? What you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah. What you see is what you get. Uh, nothing exists outside of the natural or physical environment. And this is uh, a competing program that has captured many, many... Um, minds and hearts today. But my guess is, though, that most people aren't exclusive WYSIWYGs. Okay? It's very hard to actually live like that. Uh, that To live as if the only thing that underlies all your pain and joy, all your suffering and your love, is just blind indifference and pitiless chance. It, uh, usually for us, it seems to me that we have more of a mixture of sort of folk religion and humanism and our program is basically to get as much happiness out of life as we can and if believing in God sort of helps us to do that, then all good and well. Well, we need a program. We need a big picture, some way to make sense of the world and it's critical to each of us. Well, Luke chapter 4, what we read before, it would be really helpful to have that open Luke chapter 4 is a big moment in Luke's Gospel. Uh, it's the first time that Jesus goes live. Uh, Jesus goes live. He goes public. Uh, if you've read Luke up to this point, we um, read through Luke at our uh, carol service, the first couple of chapters. We read through chunks of that last year. Uh, and so you'll know that there's been incredible things said about Jesus, incredible things happened around his birth. Uh, and and uh, up until this point... Uh, the Holy Spirit descending on him at his baptism, uh, tempted in the desert at the start of chapter 4. But here in our passage, Jesus, for the first time, sort of outs himself. He speaks publicly, declaring who he is, and he lays out his program. It's kind of like uh, the, the, new, uh, the maiden speech of a new Prime Minister. I don't know how soon we're going to have to hear that again. I don't know, maybe pretty soon, maybe sooner than we thought, I don't know. But the maid, it's sort of like the maiden speech of a new, new Prime Minister. Uh, he paints a big, a big picture of where things are at, what, what, what's gone before and what he's hoping to achieve, what's coming up, what his agenda is. Well, Luke 4 is an incredible program. And for us, for Trinity South Coast, for Jesus' people, 
Uh, it's essential that we know it and we rehearse it uh, over and over and over. Uh, because if Jesus is believed, to be believed, it's not just another sort of option uh, in the smorgasbord of life programs that you can choose. According to Jesus, this is the world's true program. We can't keep it at a distance. It's the program that sort of that sweeps us up in it too. So Luke 4, if you've got it open, that would be really helpful. We'll start at verse 14 there. Uh, Jesus' great maiden speech. He, he sort of unveils his program. And it's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't go to the capital. He doesn't, he doesn't go to Rome or Jerusalem uh, with great fanfare to, uh, to sort of uh, give his maiden speech, to uh, tell everyone what he's on about. He goes back home to the region of Galilee. And you can see things start off pretty well for him. Verse 15, he teaches in their synagogues. Everyone praises him. And then in verse 16, things sort of narrow down again. Things get even more focused to, to Galilee. Uh, not to Galilee, sorry, to Nazareth, the, the town in Galilee where, where he grew up. So as was his habit, as we read, he went to the synagogue. This is sort of a, um, a small version of the temple where people would gather every Saturday. And what would happen is uh, in these synagogues, uh, qualified people would get up um, to stand up to read part of the Jewish scriptures before they'd sit down in a particular seat to give a meditation on the reading that they'd just had, so some kind of sermon, uh, commenting on the text and how it applied to people's lives. So Jesus puts himself forward, he stands up, and he's given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And then it's interesting, isn't it, verse 17, he very deliberately finds a specific part of Isaiah. Chapter 61. And here he goes. Jesus' maiden speech. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to, to, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Not a bad maiden speech, right? <laughs> Verse 20, though, he gives his maiden speech and he sits down and everyone's eyes are fixed on him, partly because uh, that's what happens. The person who read would sit down and then explain it. So that's why their eyes were fixed on him. But also, I think, uh, I mean, if you put them yourselves in their position, they'd known this guy as a kid. Uh, they'd gone to school with him. He'd fixed their tables for them. Uh, but recently they'd been hearing bizarre stories about him performing incredible miracles. He'd been teaching around the other synagogues. So I imagine at this point their expectations are really high. Uh, what's, what's young Jesus got to say for himself? Why does he choose this text out of Isaiah? And why did he read it so deliberately? Well, and then Jesus does something utterly remarkable. Did you notice that? Utterly, totally unbelievable. See what he does? He gives a one-sentence sermon. Now, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> this is, he gives a one-sentence... No, that's, that's, that is remarkable, but there's something even much more remarkable than a preacher giving a one-sentence sermon. That's what he said in his sermon. That's truly astounding. Verse 21. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He quotes from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah's prophecy, if you, you may know, it taps into it taps into the long story of Israel, the long story of the nation of Israel, and through Israel, it taps into the story of the whole world, the story of the whole world that was lovingly created by God, that was broken and tragically fallen by humanity's rejection of God, their refusal to trust him. The story about, uh, that tells of God's choosing Abraham, one man, that through his family he might fix up the world again, that it might be put to rights, that he might renew the world in life and peace, undo the tragedy of the fall and everything be made new. So Isaiah taps into that story. But by the time Isaiah's writing, Israel, uh, he has in view uh, Israel's exile, right? The exile where Israel were carried off because of their own sinfulness and brokenness, their refusal to trust and obey God. But even despite Israel's rejection of God, God remained committed to them, to his world, to seeing it renewed. But in Isaiah, this is what, now where we come back to Jesus, in Isaiah... Uh, this great plan of God becomes focused on one figure. It's a sort of a shadowy figure throughout Isaiah. And you may know him as the servant, the fig- this figure of the servant that comes up through Isaiah. He gets focused on the servant. The servant would be the one, instead of uh, that Israel's promises were focused onto, so no longer the nation of Israel, but focused onto this one person, this servant. He would be the one to bring in God's new age, to bring his blessing to the world. And so uh, when we come to this maiden speech, I, I hope you've uh, gone with me on that journey, seeing that backstory in Isaiah, because when we come to Luke 4 and Jesus' maiden speech, when he reads from this passage, he's making a stunning claim, isn't he? Jesus is claiming, Jesus is claiming to be the centre point of all history, (laughs) the centre point of everything that God is doing in the world to restore creation, to undo the fall, to bring it to its right and proper end well if Jesus was right if Jesus was right this is good news friends isn't it isn't it good news Uh, God would finally act to free his people and so it's interesting when you when we read on we'll just travel through the rest of this narrative before we bring some draw some threads together Uh, the crowds uh, as we go on in verse 22 the crowds, are, uh, they're curious and they're amazed by what Jesus is saying. Uh, if he's right, it's incredible news. God is going to come and fix the world up. And he's going to save his people. But they're also cautious because they knew this guy's a kid. It's, you know, it's hard to believe that someone you've seen crawling around in nappies is the saviour of the world. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, so they're curious, they're cautious, But Jesus knows they don't get it yet. They don't get it yet. They're not up with his program, so he presses the issue. And what he says next, you know, it's quite incredible, the transformation in these people. 
you see what happens next? They go from this sort of curious, cautious thing to after Jesus has said his next bit, they move from curiosity to furious, murderous rage. They just want to kill him. They want to kill him. What is it about what Jesus says? He, to- he tells this story about two non-Israelites, two people in the Old Testament, and two great Israelite prophets, Elijah and Elisha. They performed miracles on, these, on a nameless widow and this guy called Naaman, who was a, a Syrian general. There's the critical thing about these two is, what's the critical thing? They weren't Jewish. They weren't part of God's special chosen people. They were outside of God's people, and yet God chose to bless them. God chose to heal them and provide for them. That is what caused this incredible transformation from curiosity to rage. Because the Israelites in Jesus' hometown, they could not believe what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying the fulfillment of God's plan is here. God's new age is here right now. God is rescuing, but he's rescuing the wrong people. (laughs) He's rescuing the wrong people. Instead of salvation for Israel and judgment for everyone else, instead of salvation for God's people, Israel, and judgment for the world, God's grace and forgiveness and mercy is going out to the world well Luke in this chapter doesn't sort of fill out for us how that all happens Uh, but there's a really important hint back up in verse 19 I'm just going to draw this out and then we'll finish up verse 19 says uh, one line uh, out of Isaiah 61 the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, the really important thing here isn't actually what Jesus says so much as what he doesn't say. If you flick back to Isaiah 61, where Jesus quotes this from, Jesus stops, and it's very unusual to do this when you're quoting scripture, he stops halfway through a sentence. He stops halfway through this sentence in Isaiah. And he does it very deliberately. You see, Isaiah goes on. In the, in the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, of Isaiah, Jesus quotes, Isaiah says, This servant is sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. The year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Isaiah looked forward to this day when God would bring favour for his people and vengeance on the world, on his enemies. But here, Jesus, in this significant moment where he declares his program, he cuts off halfway through the sentence. He doesn't talk about God's vengeance. I think this is really significant for us to get, to get with Jesus' program. He splits Isaiah. Isaiah saw this coming day. Jesus comes and says, I'm splitting that day in half. I'm splitting it in two. This time I am coming to save, 
to bring favour, not vengeance. And you know what's, <laughs> what's even more astounding? I'm coming to bring it to the whole world. Not just to Israel. I'm coming to bring it to the whole world. But friends, how does Jesus, how can he do this? How can Jesus offer God's favour to the world today and not his vengeance? He does it by taking the vengeance that we, we justly deserve on himself. That's why this is good news. That's why we can say today is the day of God's favour for us. Because a few years after Jesus said this, in his own death on the cross, Jesus took that vengeance on himself. He took our day of, he took your day of vengeance that was that it, you that you justly deserve. He took it on himself. There is a coming day of vengeance. Jesus doesn't do away with the other half of the sentence. He splits it in two. God loves his world too much to let it continue forever in its rebellion and brokenness. And Jesus will return to judge. But today, in your hearing, in our hearing, this is the year of God's favour. So that's Jesus' incredible program, uh, to bring God's favour to the world through taking this, the, judge, the just judgment and vengeance of God for humanity's rebellion on himself. And if that's Jesus' program, it needs to be ours. Trinity South Coast. It needs to be our program. I just want to finish by um, just reflecting on the sort of summary of this program that Jesus gives right in, uh, in verse 18 there. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. What does it mean for us, Trinity South Coast? What does it mean for us to get with Jesus' program? To get with Jesus' program. Three things, friends, three things to finish up on. Uh, The first is, Jesus' program is news. It's news. And this, I think, again, is really significant. It's not a, Jesus is not giving us a ten-step guide to a happy life. Right? We are news people. We're news broadcasters. We are proclaimers of something that has been done apart from us, outside of us, before us, independent of us. We are news people. Trinity South Coast, our focus needs to always be on what God has done for us and in us, what God is doing, what he will do, not on what we do. We're not offering a new philosophy of life. We're just passing on a message. (laughs) We're news people. We're telling a story. We're sharing incredible news about what God has done for us and for his world. So Jesus' uh, program for us, Trinity South Coast, is to be news people. But it's not just news, is it? Jesus' program is for us to proclaim good news. Good news. It is unthinkable, but entirely possible for Jesus' people to forget 
that this is good news. If Jesus' program, if it isn't the best thing you've ever heard, if it doesn't thrill us, then we're not hearing it the way we ought to. (laughs) We're not hearing it as it truly is. We might be theologically orthodox. We might serve impressively. But we won't be in line with Jesus' program. Jesus' program for Trinity South Coast is to proclaim news, is to proclaim wonderful, life-giving, incredible, transforming news. It's news, it's good news, and it's good news for the poor. See, it's only the poor, it's only the enslaved, the blind, the oppressed, it's only those people who hear this as good news, as it really is. Uh, Jesus and Isaiah before him aren't talking primarily about physical poverty. This is a much deeper poverty, a much deeper oppression, a spiritual poverty. And friends, I think that one reason that we don't receive this news as the best thing we've ever heard, as wonderful, perhaps one reason that we don't receive it like that Uh, is that we forget just how poor we are. Just how poor we are. Perhaps we even become, instead of spiritually poor, spiritually middle class. Uh, Perhaps we have a critical superiority over others because we buy the lie that our position in Christ is something that we've earned rather than a gift purely given to us by grace. That's the danger the crowds fell into, isn't it? God's grace to the wrong people. To the Gentile widow. To the enemy soldier. You see, God's grace enraged the crowds. God's grace always does that to spiritually middle class people. Because God's grace says you can't do anything. You are a captive in your sin and brokenness. You are poor You are blind. And God's grace shows us that that is the reality for every single person on the south coast. Every single person, your neighbour, every single person on the whole world outside of Christ. The reality is everyone is poor before God. But Jesus' program for his world Jesus' program for us, and friends, I just want to finish with this, Uh, Jesus' program for us, as we start, needs to be today, uh, for the rest of the time that God blesses us with together, it needs to be news. Not about us, but about God. It needs to be wonderful, good news, and it needs to, we need to know that we are the poor if we are to receive that as good news. Jesus gives us good news for the poor, for broken, oppressed people like us. That is our program. That's what needs to drive us. And I pray that from this point on, <laughs> Trinity South Coast, well, we can be those who proclaim this wonderful, life-giving, liberating news. Okay. Um, Let's pray, friends. Let's pray before we, uh, we're going to sing a song reflecting on some of these things and then go to morning tea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glimpse into 
uh, into Jesus and his program, uh, the great... The great program that he came to pursue. Father, make us news people. Keep us from ever setting our eyes on ourselves and what we do. Keep us keep our eyes fixed on the news of Jesus, what you have done, what you have accomplished in him, what you will do in him. Lord, help that news to sink deep into us and be for us good news. Help us to see just how poor we are outside of Christ. And I pray that that reality will, uh, Lord, um, make us people who receive this wonderful news of freedom and restoration and sights and life, uh, receive it with real joy and with uh, real conviction. Lord, may this be the theme of Trinity South Coast from today onwards. And we do pray that many people will come under the sound of this wonderful news for the saving of their souls, for the building up of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.